Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. There he is. We've been away for a little while, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to, I try to hit the beat now, but... I'm not sure if I ever manage it. It's difficult for you to beat match on this because you're a few milliseconds behind. That's exactly the point, isn't it? So whatever I do will end up just colliding with... You'll have to tweak it in post. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. No, I didn't think you would. It would take hours. It's a completely pointless endeavour. I I shan't be wasting my time with that. (laughs) Uh, Thank you to everyone who's stuck with us. I apologise apologies for being away. I was out filming a TV programme that I'm still not quite oh, you allowed didn't to talk about in, in much. Did I not mention I was making no. a, a TV show? Oh, right, okay. Well, it's... Uh, you might have long to wait. That's all I'll say. Okay. Uh, so, more of that. But, Ian, it's been... I've I've, I've missed you. I've not missed in, you not, too. I mean, we did f- communicate a bit. We did, yeah. We did. Like you, most um, days. Yeah, you sent me a pretty good picture the other day. But it, well, I mean, obviously, you were already back by this point. But it was, um, it was your beautiful dog wasn't it yeah sat lying on you in a uh (laughs) well it's difficult to describe but basically he'd he'd placed his rearmost aperture against my head let's say (laughs) it was a great photograph i enjoyed it enormously i was like how why are they so unaware of how much revulsion this causes i was more amused than revulsed but that was very funny for another day uh, in terms of stories for today, this day, the day we are recording the 2nd of April, um, the government, that is the UK government, has set out plans to regulate artificial intelligence with some, no. new, gui- yes, with some new guidelines on responsible use. Now, it described AI in a white paper as one of the technologies of tomorrow. And that's despite the very real risk that it's actually here today and has been in development since the 1950s, which I would count as at least yesterday. Uh, But it did say AI contributed about £3.7 billion to the UK economy last year, which is not to be sneezed at. In her white paper, Michelle Donnellan, who is the Secretary, Secretary of State for Science, Innovation and Technology, essentially said the UK is not going to have uh it's basically it's going to have a light touch um there's not going to be a new regulator for ai which some people worried about at least not initially anyway uh instead existing regulators are going to be responsible for overseeing how ai is deployed there will be some guidelines in these guidelines much yeah. like the biological species on this planet will evolve over time and regulators, unlike most biological species, will have to be able to figure out effective rules themselves and iterate more quickly if needed. So, in principle, that opens the door to Ofcom having to deal with AI if it relates to, let's say, media stuff or broadcast, uh, or the CMA, the Competition and Markets Authority, if business A accuses business B of doing something wholly unsavory uh, with AI. 
Uh, and another surprising move, at least it surprised me, I think it did surprise a lot of people, is that none of this is actually going to be mandatory. It's not binding. Regulators oh. don't have to follow these guidelines at all if they don't okay. want to. Um, that seems that's, odd. Well, it's odd in compa- I mean, bro- broadly speaking, I'm, I'm, I think this is, uh, this is a good approach. Um, it's rare for me to go on the record and agree with something tech-related that the government has, has done. But in this instance, uh, I actually feel this might be appropriate given how quickly technology is evolving and how badly we saw heavy-handed approaches like the online safety bill um fit uh. you know drag on over a long time and that was at least with the technology that ostensibly they understood which ai uh, they still probably don't um here's how the bbc summarized the five principles in this white paper uh safety security and robustness this means applications of ai should function in a secure safe and robust way where risks are carefully managed mm. yep uh, transparency and explainability Organizations developing and deploying AI should be able to communicate when and how it is used and explain a system's decision-making process in an appropriate level of detail that matches the risks posed by the use of AI. Now, that one is going to be a hell of a lot harder to do um, because explainability in AI is hard enough even for people who build the systems, let alone the ones involved in regulating uh, the, the uses of them. That will be hard. Uh, fairness AI should be used in a way which complies with the UK's existing laws for example on equalities or data protection and must not discriminate against individuals or create unfair commercial outcomes again agree with that accountability and governance measures are needed to ensure there is appropriate oversight of the way AI is being used and clear accountability for the outcomes that will be hard but I do broadly agree with it and contestability and redress people need to have clear routes to dispute harmful outcomes or decisions generated by ai that will be easy enough in as much as you might know who to complain to but whether or not the people you complain to will actually have the ability to do anything about it is another question how does this stack up to you so far ian um i don't know it it all sounds reasonable for a set of guidelines I don't it does, doesn't it? really know what to say about that. Yeah. Well, I do, so I'll just continue. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I have been looking at how this has played out in other jurisdictions. And, you know, we could talk about Japan, we could talk about China, talk about US. They're all quite different for, for various reasons. Um, but our nearest neighbour, the EU, has a very different approach uh, at the moment. Uh, in fact, the World Economic Forum had a really nice summary of the EU's approach, which we will link to at UKTechShow.com forward slash episodes and in the mp3 description of this file but it says this the cornerstone of the ai act oh by the way that's what it's called uh, in the eu is a classification system that determines the level of risk an ai technology could pose to the health and safety or fundamental rights of a person the framework includes four risk tiers unacceptable high limited and minimal AI systems with limited and minimal risk, like spam filters or video games, are allowed to be used with little requirements other than transparency obligations. Systems deemed to pose an unacceptable risk, like government social scoring and real-time biometric identification systems in public spaces, are prohibited with little exception. Um, And then there's some big penalties. The 6% of global income uh, for companies is, is 
they, they generally like that, don't they? As a penalty, they, they love this the 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 six percent. Yeah, it's very or, much or, their uh, thing. Or up to thirty million euros, which is significantly ah. less for some of these com- companies. So, uh, good luck with that. So, actually affordable. I mean, this shouldn't come as a surprise to many people that the EU has taken a harder regulatory yeah. stance on this than, um, than other jurisdictions. But I'm also surprised that we've gone such an opposite way, which is to say, well, we're not going to create a regulator. We're not going to give you rules that you have to abide by. And instead, we're going to give you some general guidelines and let you get on with it. And we're going to sit back and learn from the successes and failures, which is remarkably moderate. Now, in the old days, <clears throat> it might have been the case that there'd be there'd be a huge economic advantage to taking this approach, in that you would just be able to say, right, well, we're going to we're going to encourage the use of AI, and we're going to make the UK a real, you know, a, a place where AI companies want to come by not re- overregulating it and letting the market sort of build itself up. But in today's world, I don't think that's going to work, is it? Because what you could do is you could build something that would work for the UK, but you wouldn't be able to actually use it in a lot of other countries, um, particularly not in the EU. Uh, mm. Well, I mean, in the very extreme circumstances, I guess. But I mean, that doesn't surprise me because uh, I don't. I mean, you know, I'm. You know, this is going because ultimately the UK government would probably quite like to have some vicious AI tools for, you know, looking at facial recognition and all that kind of stuff. I shouldn't have. I knew I was going to fall into this stupid political trap. Um, yeah. Anyway, would you like me to would you like me to pull you out of the bear trap before you remove a leg? Pull me out and okay. I'll try and reassemble some non-political thoughts. OK. OK, you're out. OK, thanks. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I suppose, on the, you know, it, it's interesting. I think. For me, the debate about AI being harmful, I, I, I'm i almost sceptical in a way. I can see the damage it could do. Um, I think what we're seeing at the moment is a, a lot of uh, innovation that I think is really exciting. I think um, ChatGPT is taking all of the AI uh, spotlight, but that's really only a tiny fraction of what AI is and arguably not ai pure ai i guess um you know what, it's a GPT, natural you mean? yeah it's a natural language model isn't it so it's it, it's not quite the same as you know using ai to um you know process real world events in the same way does, does that make sense it makes sense and you're mostly correct the, yeah the, the i'll Chat take GPT mostly product doesn't but the gpt4 model underpinning it could. yeah and yeah sure that's a separate conversation it is for sure but i think that that's um you see this a lot don't you with these sort of very high-end discussions it's that the public has now seen chat gpt concluded that that's what ai is all about and may then not be quite so aware of the things that could be going on in the background but i mean i am you know i i, I do what i work with things that use ai and ultimately i'm a pretty big fan of it because it enables you know things to be processed in in volumes that you would not be able to do with a a human thing and those systems are designed to keep people safe so it's hard to be too negative about it uh obviously there are plenty of opportunities for this to go horribly wrong um and you know you could make all sorts of arguments about bias it I think that that would be the best thing to regulate would be to, you know, how do we best manage to create unbiased artificial intelligence? Like that for me is the big 
debate because it's so hard and everyone has biases even if they don't recognize them themselves and the the final point that i would mention on this and there are so many points that we could mention uh is that the definition of what ai is is also broadly open to interpretation Mm. when you consider moving it from just things like large language models and saying well actually what is just very good software and yes. what is very good hard coding which, which is my yeah which is exactly my point in the, the that large yeah. language model is very very clever it appears like magic but it is in fact quite dumb i mean it's it's amazing what it does but it's not it, i i don't know it uh, it's hard for me to think about it as ai i don't know why well uh john in our live chat says my biggest concern as a teacher is how ai spreads misinformation to children with poor discernment skills luna replies not just children poignant both (laughs) on both counts um but that is a much bigger uh, discussion um i may i can't remember if i've mentioned this or not but i i'm partway through making a tv series about ai oh good god without providing no you haven't mentioned it at all without uh without any spoilers let's just say that this topic may or may not come up uh when it broadcasts in uh, precisely <laughs> beautifully executed nate uh the iphone 15 could go e-sim only in the uk but not just the uk uh, as you probably know the iphone 14 and 14 pro was sold in the united states with no sim card slots i ending, didn't know that ending the tyranny you must have known that nope Not until we were discussing this article. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, Well, anyway, so Apple's opted to remove um, the those sockets from us phones replacing them with an e-sim instead which is exactly the same but electronic uh apple it seems wants to ex- wants to expand the plan you see my t- my thick tongue is getting caught on the side of my teeth again because of the biting um <laughs> with the iphone 15 and 15 pro likely to be similarly slot free on european phones when they launch in the summer including those sold in France, which comes from a French site called Mac Generation. Uh, it makes sense uh, for that to impact a lot of other countries too, because of the way iPhones are sold. The model we get is the same as the Europeans, obviously, uh, and it's probably, and I can't back this up with numbers, it's probably one of the most numerous of all the phones, uh, because previously North America, but no, no, not North America. The United States has had one phone. Canada and Mexico have had a different phone. I can tell you more about this in a minute. Anyway, um, it is worth pointing out that at the moment, not all UK carriers even support eSIMs. Uh, MVNO is particularly affected, it seems. Uh, but it does seem likely that they will step up their opportunity to you know, take that technology on board in the coming months. And that could be why we're hearing about this now, because as Apple brings... <clears throat> more carriers in that's going to be a bit leaky and people are going to find out about it because if you remember when apple announced that eSIM iphone people were a bit shocked they um they weren't really aware it was going to come uh hmm. so nate i've got some uh got some little trivia about the about the iphones around the world would you like to hear about some scoos <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, tell I, me what I, you think about this and we'll come on to scoos in a bit if you want 
Uh, I'm interested now. Carry, carry on. Yeah, okay, I was okay. just, I was just, I was just quickly looking at which networks in the UK do and don't offer eSIM. There's a list. There is. I found one, uh, and it's EE. The supporting ones are EE, Leica Mobile, O2, Three, Virgin, and Vodafone. Um, and currently, again, according to this website, the ones that do not include BT Mobile, uh, Sky, Asda, GifGaf, ID, Labara, Smarty, Tesco, Voxy, CM Link. Well, all of which I believe are MVNOs. Can I also say that it's actually a little bit more complicated than that, according to Apple, because there are different kinds of eSIM support. So there are some wireless carriers that support eSIM carrier activation. So that's the uh, the network will activate the eSIM in your phone when you buy it. And that apparently is only EE in the UK. Um, and then uh, there are some wireless carriers that support eSIM quick transfer, which enables you to sort of scan a, I think you, oh no, that's when you put the iPhones together and you say transfer my SIM. Again, that's only EE that supports that in the UK. Well, this so, does at least explain when I bought a new f- uh, a new device, I was able to... you were to- asked, yeah. Yeah, I was asked to do this, but we'll come back to that. Just one well, quick thing say, I thought I'd interject, yeah. that I'm very sure that anyone who is listening to this podcast knows the difference between a sim and an e-sim but just for the benefit oh of course this, how this, rude this, of me the sim is a little thing you get through the post and you use a little tiny poker yeah. thing to, to push it in and slot it in the side well, and you can take it size, out and put it in something else that was the size of an adult male's little finger nail yeah and um and used to be the size of a credit card in like the 1980s <laughs> yeah. i've still got one <laughs> somewhere got I progressively think. smaller yeah yeah well, it literally um, was a credit yeah. card sized piece of plastic yeah, uh, and an eSIM is where you basically don't need one at all, i.e. your Apple Watch or similar smartwatch. Yes. Pr- pr- proceed, Ian. You've just made the same accidental pun I made. Similar. similar. I noticed you made it earlier and so I didn't Adam. do it deliberately, but Adam Adam's very graciously laughed at it, even though it was completely unintentional. Uh, I should have just kept my mouth shut. Uh, anyway, so, um, yeah, you might not be aware that there are actually five SKUs of iPhone 14 Pro. Uh, so the eSIM version is the A2650. Then there's the um, what's this? The the A2889, which is Canada, Guam, Japan, Mexico, and the US Virgin Isles. I'll and tell you what, if this makes it into the final edit, you know that I, it was a tough it, show. It, it, it's a, all right. So it's, what you're saying is you're not particularly interested in hearing model numbers. Is that is that it? Well, let's see. Carry on. Well, the biggest one is the uh, 2890. Uh, that's the one we get. So it's that one that the new version of will not have a SIM card slot, if this rumor ah. is to be believed. Uh, whether or not the China one... So China is interesting because China has two physical SIM slots on their iPhone. Yes. That's and A2892. Interesting. But it doesn't support FaceTime video call. Uh, sorry, FaceTime audio or Wi-Fi calling that device. You know, this, there's, a, there's a lot to be said for it. If you just have one version, then you can save a hell of a lot of money on manufacturing. You sure because, can. Because then you, you're not just buying one size, you know, where, where the size is different, the color is different, the capacity is different, and the SIM support is different, um, all of which, you know, probably exponentially increase the number of physical models you need to buy and ship. Um, if you if you just get rid of one variation, you're probably cutting down on 
massive yeah. numbers of phones needing to be made, which is no bad thing. Well, it, imagine. I mean, there must be some tooling expense slash there must be material costs to making that many extra little SIM slots. Now, we've obviously, people talked about this before. People are like, oh, they're, they're trying to save a cent on each phone. What does it matter? Well, you know, when you scale a cent up to, what, 100 million devices, it, it's not a cent anymore. It's a hundred million cents. cents. Yeah. And that makes no sense, ironically. Indeed. Uh, so, you know, so so there are, and of course, you know, there, there are advantages to adding waterproofing, you know, stopping things being, getting into your device. There are lots of reasons to take the space. You'll save some space. That space could be used by a fragment more battery, which would be welcome to all iPhone users, I'm sure. The benefit of an eSIM yeah uh is is should in a sense make a de- a, a device more flexible but actually when i put my new sim in my phone and and it asked me would you like to convert this to an e-sim i forget the exact wording but it was along those lines my initial thought was to say oh that be that's a good idea how very convenient but then i thought well no actually there are occasions where i i actually take the sim out and put it into another device and i can't do that with an e-sim but at the same time in principle i could it's just well, that i can't well, if you yeah, know but I mean. also you could still use your sim socket even if you've converted to an e-sim it doesn't disable the socket if you've got one it's just that when you come to buy your next iPhone, you'll find that it doesn't have a socket at all. Apparently. Well, it, that wasn't very. That wasn't made clear to me. Wasn't made very clear. <laughs> no, and I mean, but I guess because they're kind of used to people just doing what they say, aren't they? Apple, you know, do this are, and people do it. Sims are stupid, and all these networks are stupid. Do because... you want to know a little really interesting fact about SIM cards? <sighs> Can I just finish my complaint first? Y- yes, of course. And by the way, my sigh wasn't a your interruption. Oh, okay. just my general innate anger at the fact that, you know, I've got a SIM for my phone, a SIM for my iPad, a SIM for my watch. They're all with EE. They all cost separately. One of them has unlimited data. One of them doesn't. It's insane. Why oh, I can't just have an account and a number of devices and assign using eSIMs which account I want to be added to a device and just be on my way? Theoretically, that's what an eSIM should allow me to do, or at least help me get towards doing. That's all. Proceed. <clears throat> no, I was just going to say that, that now this probably doesn't apply anymore. But back in the very, very early days of mobile phones, um, the SIM was not very popular. In fact, I mean, uh, it, it, I think um, Steve Jobs was on record as not wanting a SIM socket at all. He would have rather found another way to do it. However, back in the day, uh, the early days, it used a lot of power. Because basically you had to keep the SIM card active all the time. So you were always having to pass a voltage through it, which meant that it had, a, a, I mean, not a massive effect maybe, but it certainly did have a detrimental effect on um, on battery life. Because I used to know a guy who worked in Nokia's engineering department who told me that and said that mm. Japanese phones didn't have SIM cards. So it was a bit easier to eke a bit of battery life out of them. This is back in the day, of course, when batteries were quite different. Probably doesn't make any difference now, practically speaking. Not on a power level, but it's still a very interesting fact. It is an interesting fact. I'm glad I you like... thought so, because I was rolling a dice there. I didn't know for sure uh, whether or not you'd actually find that interesting or not. Well, you, I mean, you you led us down slightly with the listing of all the SKUs. Uh, yes. But, but you massively redeemed yourself with the um, with the knowledge of, of passing a voltage you over know, I didn't sim. see the SKUs thing coming. I thought you'd be captivated by that. I should have turned it into a quiz. Well, if I'm absolutely honest, personally, 
I am very interested. But it's one of those things that <laughs> when you've read out, you're yeah. like, this probably is only interesting to about three people, and I'm one of them, and you're the other. So that uh, leaves one out of a few thousand people. Yeah, so, sorry, uh, audience. I apologise for that. If you've just rejoined us after s- pressing the fast forward button thirty times, <laughs> lol. So this is all still at rumour point. Um, the reason why I think it's relevant to pay attention to this, even though it's an Apple specific story in a sense, is that what Apple does in phones, like it or not, does often massively influence what others do in phones. In part because Apple manages to get its way with what the carriers choose to support and once carriers start supporting things other device makers like to take advantage of it so you do tend to see a knock-on effect like that so i do wonder if the days of the sim are numbered at this point nick in the chat is uh telling us that there's it's it, even the e-sim is out of date and now the, the net the future is going to be the i-sim what's the i-sim i don't know i haven't read the article but so when sim, I read it, I expect to be fully briefed on what it is. So a SIM, because an eSIM is still a SIM. It's just sort of baked onto a chip. Can't, yeah. Can't. And now an I, oh, I don't know. You know what? We'll come back to this. <laughs> yes. We'll come what is back an eSIM? I could press the button and read it out, but I won't. eSIM is an eSIM on a chip, Nick says. Adam says the eSIM on a cake, uh, which oh. I'm going to use probably as this week's title of a show which we don't normally do but that's just too good to let pass thank you adam um just make a little note of this taking a leaf out of uh, dtns's book there that is how they do it and anyone is welcome to offer names to our episodes um but i have to say i'm taking that one even without asking so well done adam that was that was a work Tell of all art. your friends they won't care like no one cared about my skews but you no. can do it anyway tell all your friends you named an episode. And if you would like to send us an email and give your view on Sims or Scoos or iSims or eSims or anything like this, and indeed anything the hell you want, the world is your oyster, just send us an email. Hello at UKTechShow.com. <laughs> Well, yes. I know we're back now, we but are. Uh, people didn't have to stay listening to us, and they did, and well, some of those nice. people include our patrons. So thank you, patrons, for sticking around. People like Adam, you've heard him, because he named our show just now. People like Nick, people like Luke, Captain Kremen, people like Ian B. These are the winners of this world. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash UK Tech, and you can help supporters in these difficult, difficult times. Uh, where Ian has to research model numbers for phones. Um, I quite enjoyed it. It was like... (laughs) Well, if you're one of those people, you're about to hear our next discussion story, which is where we get really rather angry about Audible starting to put ads in audiobooks. Got an email here about dog dirt. Uh, yeah. This comes in courtesy of, of Stephen, uh, who listened to our conversation the other week about uh, uh, vacuum cleaners and what happens if one rolls over 
the biological waste of your beloved pet. Uh, he says, Hi guys, I never considered the dog poo issue with robot vacuum cleaners. Thanks for that valuable information. To expand a bit, I was considering a robot lawnmower. Problem is, my dog has been known to poo in the grass, so that bit of technology is off the cards for me. Crawling around in the grass, looking <laughs> looking for the poo before setting the robot lawnmower off strikes me as a needless task which would take longer than simply cutting the grass with an ordinary mower, poo and all. In all seriousness, this sort of tech-consuming news is invaluable. Um, keep up the great work, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. We shall do our very best. Uh, sorry, we've been very sensible on this week's episode. Um, maybe we'll talk about dog waste again next week. Uh, Ian, we don't have a promo from Tom, because I don't think I told him we were going to be back this weekend. Oh. But... Uh, Tom does a show called Daily Tech News Show, and it's rather marvellous, and you should all go and listen to it at dailytechnewsshow.com. Yeah, Add it to your feeds right now. I know yeah. you did. I got yeah. a very entertaining text message about uh, you yeah, the and back your... Yeah, the back of my head. Yeah, the back of your head. About, um, yes. was it ice cream? Uh, yes, we'd gone to an ice cream parlour in San Francisco. And, I find uh, that delightful. We'd noticed there was a post on the wall that said, Nate's choice, and Tom took a photo of the back of my head as I was considering Nate's choice and he thought I'd bought Nate's choice but actually my choice Nate's choice uh, was not the choice of the Nate no I didn't um, think it was looking at it what was it I, I could need to look up the text message to see what was in it uh, um, I can't do you think there'd be sufficient interest in that if I did it I don't think so no, no. I really don't no I am nearly, uh, I have nearly found it though no here we go malted milk chocolate with cornflakes yeah I didn't have that no one needs that is it ice cream? Is it a for... breakfast? What is it? You went for vanilla, didn't you? Vanilla fudge, was it? That's right. This vanilla isn't interesting with... at all, is it? No. Let's finish the show. Okay, well, here we go with the outro. Ian, have the final say, mate. Well, I, now I've blown my load on that stupid ice cream thing. Gripping stuff. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.